0: I am Plata on the line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Joshua Whitehead joins me now from the time his debut novel, Johnny Appleseed, was published in 2018. He has become one of the most exciting literary voices in Canada. He continues to enlighten and provoke with a new work of nonfiction that was recently published, Making Love with the Land. In the book, he explores indigeneity, queerness, as well as the body, the land, language, creativity, sleep and various genres of writing. It is a serious, important book that is often leavened by the author's humor. Joshua Whitehead is an O. G. Cree Nihao, two spirit indigiqueer member of the Pigui First Nation, Treaty One. Johnny Appleseed was longlisted for the uh, Scotia Bank Giller Prize and shortlisted for the Governor General's Award in Fiction. His poetry collection, Full Metal Indiqueer, was uh, shortlisted for the inaugural Indigenous Voices Award, for Most Significant Work of Poetry in English and the Stefan G. Stephenson Award for Poetry. Currently, he's working on a PhD in Indigenous Literatures and Cultures at the University of Calgary. He joined me from uh, Toronto nearly one month ago. Making Love uh, with the Land is published by Canoff Canada. The website for more is at Joshuawhitehead.ca. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online Program, Joshua Whitehead. Professor Whitehead, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Pretty good, yourself? Doing well, thanks.
1: Doing well. To get out of Calgary for a little bit.
0: How much sleep did you get last night? <laughs>
1: well, I got in at about one, got to the hotel for two, and then started the interviews uh, at six in the morning. So a few hours, you
0: know. <laughs> yeah. It, it, the um, I don't. I don't think I have insomnia because I, I um, once I'm asleep, I um, you know sleep pretty well. Um, it's just getting up that's hard. But you, you talk, <laughs> you talk in making love with with the land about. Um, Having to contend with with insomnia um, and and the thing that I found quite interesting about it is is when you talk about it as a gift, and um, I'm curious to know what is what does insomnia do to your creativity
1: I mean specifically with this book, insomnia you know really forced me to slow down to listen to myself um, but generally like generatively and creatively. Um, it's a fun little anecdote, uh-huh. but it's a very true to fact anecdote that I, I tell my students when they ask me questions about, like, well, how do I craft a character with verisimilitude? And you know, the joke that I write about making love with the land is with, I sleep with my characters. That they all get, they all giggle about it. Um, and I think that that's a generative, creative thing that insomnia gives me. It's just, it's almost like method acting or. um kind of plugging into like a virtual reality. It's like just imagining the kind of minutiae of these characters. It's a small detail for me that really kind of enlivens a character to be true to, be, to being, I suppose.
0: Yeah, it's a marvelous way to look at, at this trouble that we have uh, uh, falling asleep, if you will, that it can be useful. And uh, I think it's a lesson for a lot of people when they read this book, right?
1: I think so. It's <laughs> And some have helped me write two books, or three books now, um, so... Maybe we'll get a fourth out of it, and then we can retire and
0: come next. we would like to sleep. You um, talk in the book about the success of Johnny Appleseed, um, and there's a, the part of the book that that I, I um, noted because I, I thought it was fascinating. Was was what you talk about how um, you got to know Johnny Appleseed as intimately as you you did, um, that you knew every detail about his life, physically and and emotionally and the sort. Um, because you still deal with insomnia, do you still think about him?
1: I mean, I think that's why I had to, like, jump shift to nonfiction for a while. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, Johnny's big shoes to fill. You know, he's a big shadow to you know be looming within. Um, and, I, you know, I've done some written... I'm working on another novel after, after this. And, yeah, it's, I think that's both a gifting but also an exhausting hurt to insomnia and large characters like Johnny is. I feel like energized by him, but also haunted by him. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm writing, it's like it sounds like Johnny. Um, so it's um, it's a practice and something I'm 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 working on and teaching myself right now is to find an authentic voice that is Joshua. That I mean, I as a person and my character Johnny we share a lot of similarities, so there is going to be overlap. Mm-hmm. But differentiating between Joshua and Johnny, I think as, as a voice and as a writer is this year 's challenge to myself <laughs> yeah,
0: the book is 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 awfully beautiful, making love with the land, and um, there are many parts of it that are quite moving there, there There are um parts of the book that are awfully funny um, <laughs> Do you crack yourself up as you write? <laughs>
1: If you ask anyone, I'm sure they would tell you I am a comedian's dream. Because I'm easily <laughs> entertained. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> our moments when I'm writing this, I'm just thinking this is the funniest thing I've ever read and wrote in my whole life. Uh-huh. Um, but again, as I, was, I enjoy hearing that folks you know, find, specifically this book, um, humorous. <laughs> I think it's quite funny at times. Um, and I think that is just, like I you know, one of the Twins and the Shining Twins, uh, a coping mechanism to some of the painful bits that this mm, book required of me. Yeah, I need to be able to laugh at
0: it, too. There's so many um, marvelous, thoughtful moments in the, in the book that, that um, I, I, I worry that I'm going to run out of time, but I, I wrote so many down that I, I want to bring up. Um, you write that the physical body uh, will inhabit, or, or I should say be tied to, um, the body of text that you're writing and and it's it's so um moving in the book when you um write about the the wider world if you will nature around you um because that's something that um that that's, that you feel in your body and your mind um do you think um that idea um i mean was, we we should know that but but a lot of a lot of us don't is that easy to come to if you will
1: I mean, I think it's it's definitely naturalized a process and a sensation to me, um, which is again, I maybe was what I was trying to unpack a little further in that book, is like taking a single, like a, a large but contained word, four letters, but if the large has large connotations, such as the word body,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: really kind of tying it all its webbing to so what it, that that word means uh, as a noun, as a, as a verb, and so when I'm kind of continually thinking about, I think, my writerly obsession since I began with Full Metal, uh, writing of the body and from the body, I really needed to kind of explore its morphologies in, in, in entirety, as far as I can understand now at this point in my life, is to know that they're all entirely and ravishingly, ravishingly connected. Um, and I think that was a, a strong proponent of what I learned with this book, and this, creation, writing and the research of it is unknowing, um, the umbilical cord, I guess, as I, I keep saying is, in, within the book, that's tied to all of, these, all of the connotations of that verb and noun body.
0: It, it, I brought up that, that idea that, the, the, um, that you write in the book that the physical body will inhabit the, the text that one's writing, and, and you, you say later in, the, in that uh, uh, um, section of the book that uh, more so for people of color. The disabled, queer, or women writers. Why? Why do you think that is?
1: I think it's also just it maybe a different, you know, within a hetero patriarchal society that's class and capital, capitalistic and colonial as well. I think it's that we're taught that our bodies are always entirely, never entirely ours. That, and this is you know, universal, perhaps, but we are all the body is always owed to capitalism. It's owed to the nine to five. But then, different registers with different intersections begin to strip away even more agency that that our bodies have, um, you know, being colonized under a nation state, uh, and being a woman writer or being disabled and or queer. When you intersect them even more, I think it's our own kind of conceptions of is our body our body. I think wither a little more, um, and so I think at least I can speak for myself, when writing with that understanding of perhaps a ruptured or withered body really propels me to to bloodlet into the stories, even if they're fictional or even if they're poetry, um, because I really can't divorce myself from a body that I'm told is always manifested to another.
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah, um, and when when you, when you're um, going from genre to genre, as you as you do, with whether it's fiction or non-fiction in this new book or or, or poetry in in a previous book, um, how do you know what's the right say genre to work in? I mean, is, is that something that you decide, or is that something that's told you perhaps?
1: Yeah, I knew I wanted to begin with poetry. <laughs> like full metal. I uh, was probably the book that took me the longest to write. Mm. Um, again, I was very new. Um, I was just publishing poems for pennies in downtown Winnipeg uh-huh. at the time and, you know, reading them aloud, like in a beatnik style. Um, with Johnny, I knew that this, again, this is was a fictional character, I knew the role of the novel would be its best form versus short stories. But it is mostly vignettes, so maybe it is short stories. Um, and then with Making Love with the Land, I knew I needed it to be nonfiction. In this kind of mutated understanding, as I kind (laughs) of understand it within the book, um, because I needed to, for the topics that I wanted to discuss, and for the communities that I wanted to represent, I couldn't play the role of character. I needed to step out of that shadow of Johnny and really divorce myself from him a little bit Uh um, and come onto the stage, you know, without persona or without mask, um, because these stories are important um, to me. And hopefully to others, as they read them as they, you know, it gives them allowance to feel pain or to exercise pain, um, but also more importantly to you know have important timely and necessary conversations around mental health without it being stigmatized
0: mm. yeah that's that's another powerful part of the book is when when you talk about um the the need to um Say understand mental health. I mean, you, one of the, the things that I, I think people will find useful about your book is that how you give language to those discussions. Um, I'm, I'm sure there will be readers who will find that helpful.
1: I should surely. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a handful, um, and you know, I think that it's um, it's been a long process of my own understanding and putting language to it, and you know, the, the language isn't. Perfect or complete, if language ever is. Um, but I do think it will be a lifelong, a lifelong kind of learning and unlearning and languaging um, that I'm sure is <laughs> bound to bubble up in future books of mine. Um, but yeah, this was this was an entry point for me and or a wormhole even. And I hope folks are able to kind of ghost themselves through a the little bit too, too to to help with conversations as they needed uh, around mental health or you know, around being um, Indigenous or a BIPOC person or queer, um, or also just living and surviving the prairies, which is hard enough.
0: Mm, right, right. Um, uh, Joshua, what is your relationship with, with the artists that you find inspiration from? Because there's a part in the book where you talk about this, and I, I found that um, I'm working my way through it, because we, we always hear this phrase sometimes when we see something that inspires us um, and, and that, that provokes us, if you will, to, to do our own thing. Um, that we owe a great debt to such and such or so and so, um, that phrase doesn't sit well with you, does it?
1: <laughs> I try to, I try to change it in some semblance. Um, mm. you no, know, because like again, debt, like relationships uh, to the body and to bodies of land and literature. I write about them there with the kind of verbology of debt. Again, you're, you're rooting it in your capitalism and, yeah. and when you. Yeah ownership right um and colonization so yes there is i think that's still something i'm trying to kind of figure out but instead of death there is a relation that i want to reciprocate back into uh with the works of painters uh, primarily
0: yeah.
1: um like kirillac and monkman um and you know iconic female iconography uh, paintings um from the mona lisa to the girl with the pearl earring um so that, yeah, for me, it was, I a, a, a mean, I wanted to kind of rethink this kind of generalized language that we almost, we all use every day, <laughs> I still sometimes catch myself saying is, I owe a debt. Um, mm, and I, yeah. I would rather, I would rather think about it through a gifting and reciprocity than thinking or, or, um, not that pound of flesh, if you will, to perhaps quote
0: Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, the, um the the other fascinating thing about that part of the book is is because um, you just said that it, that it's it's mainly paintings that you found such inspiration and some people listening to us might think that that's a, a you know a, a different genre if you will or a different form of art than than what you practice um, but they are connected aren't they I mean the colors and 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 the shape of objects and 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 painting those um, that that's that's deal, dealing with words as well isn't it.
1: I think very much so. I mean, if I had skill with a paintbrush, I don't think I would have been a painter.
0: Uh-huh. Um,
1: but my I guess, my skill lies in a different type of um, iconography and imagery. Is yeah, I I think I work in a in a similar realm to painting, but also to music. Um, I have some like I have five six years of training with uh, a tenor saxophone mm-hmm. that I think attributes and finds itself in my work. Um, but the, the textures interest me. Um, and yeah, like the way light gets color and really focusing in on minutiae like how a chicken talks or whole like world of stories. Um, or as I've been kind of noting today in other interviews, me like finding the motoring body part of each of my books and I, this one was hands, I think. making love with the land, whereas Johnny Apsley was belly button. Um, so like really focusing on like those very minute things because they're the most universal even if
0: they seem the most personal. Yeah, yeah, there's they, something that people get out of this, I think that that um they didn't expect sometimes. Um how do you um balance your creativity say with your work as an academic? Um one would think that um there there're two different tracks if you will in your life do, do do they um cross at all? Do they do they um inform the other?
1: Definitely, I think they do. Yeah. I to make the joke and then this is a very truthful observation to make. But me does pay the bill <laughs> to like do <laughs> right. things like this. Yeah. Um, but Making Love with the Land was actually um, my dissertation for my PhD, which mm. I finished last July. I didn't want to have finish four books before I finished my PhD. <laughs> um, <laughs> excerpts from Making Love with the Land were my PhD dissertation. Of course there was only but it was only maybe like a, a third of if not half of that. Um, but writing as a rupture was sort of the artist statement of the exegesis to the dissertation that was never supposed to be in this book. Um, but my editor, Lynn henry with uh really thought it's apropos to, to put into here, um, to put language to my perhaps dancing around the subject that is, what is the genre of this book? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and attempting to answer my own question.
0: Yeah, I, I love that part of the book where you talk about um, what is this book? Is it autobiography? Is it biographical? A, exquisite vessel, even um, it w- was a phrase that I enjoyed particularly. Um, <laughs> are, you, are you asked in I- interviews about how to define the book? Say,
1: that it's been a big question of the day.
0: Yeah, um, I'll bet.
1: And yeah. At, at the end of it all, um, like I contend with what is literary realism, and you know what is genre, uh, and what is pulp fiction what is expected of fiction, and I think indigenous storytelling is all of those and none of those. So I think right now I'm just sticking in the realm of the decree of calling that like using Wakashimo as storyteller, um, as perhaps the badge that I wear as someone Mm -hmm. who contends in different genres and forms. Um, But letting the stories kind of need to be told as they need to be told, and if, if that sounds speculative or it sounds like horror, or that sounds like um, science fiction or magic realism. It only is because there are concepts and stories and images and characters or legends or legend speakers that are foreign to, you know, a Western conception of thinking and language.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. Um, One part of the book that... that, um uh, is an important part of the book. Obviously, is, is when you talk about the appropriation of indigeneity in Canadian literature. Um, a, a lot of people who've read the book already think that it is an important book because you talk about the state of of literature in this country. Um, in terms of your, your classes today that you teach, as opposed to when you were a student, are you, are you seeing, um, say, a more reflective um, group I mean, of students say in in your classes?
1: students? Yes. Um, but there still is a, a dominating um, population. Um, but there definitely is, I would say, like equity and diversity across the board that aren't just reliant on quote-unquote affirmative action. Uh-huh. And why I see that changing, well, at least I can speak for the English, uh, English department, um, is the literature is that that are being published in this place we call Canada, which are, you know, they like a lot of indigenous books that are winning these awards, but of black literature and trans literature. And I think as we bring those into the classroom as objects of worthy study, it clearly reflects, one, a perhaps changing and decolonizing and perhaps more progressive understanding of what it means to what it means to have diversity, not only in the classroom, but in our literatures and in our boardrooms. Mm. And again, it's a slow glacial melting. Yeah. But I think the books, refl- like the books that are published in Canada right now are very much reflective um, of the generative direction, I think, that we can expect to see in uh, 10, 20, 30, 30 years. Yeah, yeah. very hopeful to I me mean.
0: yeah it is and, and the book reads like that and and I think that's an important thing to to say notice in twenty twenty two um the, the, there are many powerful parts in the book and and the one th- that I found particularly moving w- was when you talk about this idea that that um we see in 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 the the in the um uh, in the zeitgeist, if you will, the, 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 and and this is something that you've had to contend with throughout your life, and that's a, normalizing the absurd fact of indigenous life that it hurts to live. Um, did it hurt to to write this?
1: I, the writing, yes, well, yes, um, and I think it was the it was the extraction I had to do of my own self on myself. It's um, <laughs> like performing surgery on yourself mm-hmm. uh, while also trying to make sure that you are not nicking anything um, to the point of bleeding out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But there is a there's a bloodletting for sure. And so the book was, there there was a lot of things that I, as a good Capricorn, I guess I could say, um, repressed for a, <laughs> a long time. Um, and it was very much like the space of COVID that really made me have to contend with things that I didn't want to look in the face, mm. um, or that didn't want to have to speak into orality, but that were, I was becoming a dam that was unmanageable. <laughs> so I was bound to burst sooner or later. Um, and you know, with the, the hyperbole of being in a pandemic and locked down for two years and the kind of, the intensity of the mundane, becoming torturous, almost, Mm. of someone who lived alone, worked alone, groundhog day, day in, day out, um, the book kind of just came rushing into orality, um, because I had lost control of the grips around what I thought I was kind of keeping in line. Um, so the book was, yeah, quite difficult to to do. But thankfully, (laughs) I had great support of friends and family, Mm -hmm. and I found a great therapist in the pandemic, (laughs) who unfortunately, as I write about in the book, I had to always kind of remind myself not to be taking down notations she was telling me that I thought were beautiful and generative for writing, (laughs) Um, to be a person uh, and not a writer. I think it's a a difficult relationship that I think I contend with, um, because it's all kind of located within the body So.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you the, the other thing that as I was reading the book is how do you uh, deal with being a reader as a writer? I mean, are, how, how do you? Um, how, I mean, is is that is that a struggle that that the the writer you has to to deal with? I mean, or the reader you has to deal with? If the writer you is 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 say sitting with you as you're reading,
1: <laughs> it kind of reminds me of, this, of the passage that I talk about in there. Uh, as an academic, trying to enjoy as a comic lover, yeah. where I'm playing these games, I'm yeah. like, let's look for the hidden uh, NBN in this book or the scene. So there is going to be one. Um, and so it takes me out of the film a lot, <laughs> and or are different types of texts I, I watch or listen to or, or participate in like video games. Um, but it also is that it's a very similar dynamic as a reader and as a writer in that when I'm reading, I have a very difficult time not well, reading for pleasure, I guess, if, if yeah, that yeah. the general idea of doing that, <laughs> because I'm reading as a critic, I'm reading as an editor, mm-hmm. uh, I'm reading as a writer. So I'm, what I'm doing is, like, pulling it apart to look at the innards instead of watching how the beautifully crafted clock ticks, um, because I want to see the cause. And so, yeah, it definitely affects how I, how I read, and vice versa, reading kind of affects how I write uh, and what I write. So they are interesting symbiotes together, um, but they definitely affect one another. And I guess I try to exist in the middle ground because I find that playground very rich with creativity.
0: And that's the thing. That's, I guess, the, 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 the idea that we need to, to wrap ourselves around and, and accept is that the body is, is, is awfully powerful, and we, we need to realize that all of these aspects in one's life all come together in the, this one body, right?
1: Oh, exactly, yeah. And the body never forgets. Yeah. <laughs> as, as much as our mind might trick us, it does. Um, you know, we have muscle memory and you know, sensorial touch that brings back psychosensual, <laughs> perhaps um, things remembered or forgot or past life. Um, so, yeah, it's a very, it's a very uh, wild and Enigmatic machine that I am. Just I think I will always be obsessed with as a, as a thinker and as a writer.
0: You mentioned a, a moment ago, Joshua, that um, th- that a lot of your writing is sort sort of representative of the communities that that you come from. Um, do you view your yourself and in, in in your career, your persona, as as doing that work of representation, or, or do you um, view it as well as I mean, uh, say sort of impacting the communities that you come from?
1: I think a bit of both. (laughs) Um, I think I am, this also sounds weird to say like like I'm tooting my own horn, but I feel like I am sometimes seen as like a representative or a leader, Uh uh, even though I never asked or consented to be, Sure. um, which sometimes, you know, I'm like held up to standards, which are elusive and unattainable at times, um, you know, which it has, profound effects on mental health or, or caretaking for the self, which uh, it's sometimes explored in books like Making Love with the Land*. But I also try to, like, not allow my... not give myself a perhaps gargantuan level of responsibility, uh, mm. reminding myself that I'm still a person. I'm still, like, I'm in early 30s. I'm allowed to make mistakes. I'm going to. Um, so I, I try to, like, Put all of my work into having a more impact through creation rather than representation. Um, So, because clearly (laughs) some of the things in making love with the land were not good representations and poor decisions were made. Um, Well, if I can craft something from it, I'm like, here, take this. This is a much better guide in life than me and the person who's still figuring things out. I think that's a better better
0: goal for me to, to try to aim for. This is such a, a moving, uh, important, but also funny uh, book. I, I so enjoyed uh, reading it and talking to you today, Joshua. Uh, continued, good luck with the book.
1: Oh, thank you so, so much. Yeah, it's his birthday today, so it's minutes old, and
0: I'm excited to see what happens. The website for more is at ca. The book is called Making Love with the Land. It's published by Kanoff Canada. Its author Joshua Whitehead joined me on the line from Toronto, Ontario. In Vancouver, I'm Joseph Planta.